Here we go. Father, we come before you and I pray that I would not depend upon what happened last service. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me afresh with what you would want me to share through your word this morning, through this passage of scripture, to your people. Lord, we all need to hear from you. We all have those things in our life that we are working through, struggling with, challenged by. We need you. We call out to you. Glory to you, God, in the highest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of this morning's message is called The Cost of Following Jesus. And um, we're going to be in Matthew 8, verse 18 through 22. So five verses this morning. We're continuing through our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Started about a year ago, and this is where we find ourselves. And we're looking at this man, Jesus. We're looking at his claims. We're looking at his lineage, who was in his family. And we're looking now, we've, we've crossed the threshold. We're now looking at what power this man has. We know that he comes from a kingly line. Matthew proved that right in the very first chapter. Shows his uh, you know, descendants, and you can see, or his heritage. We can see that. We've seen that he can preach, because man, he gave the a most amazing sermon in uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And now in chapter 8, it's one thing if you have authority, but Jesus doesn't just have authority. He has the power to back up his words. And we're seeing it happen, and... It's not in secret, it's publicly happening and people are seeing it and they're going, this man can not only teach like no one we've ever heard, but this man can heal like no one we've ever seen. And he's doing it to people that traditionally the Jewish person would go, I would never approach them. I mean, I could see somebody, you know, having the ability by God to heal a good Jewish man, a good Jewish woman, but not someone that would heal a leper. Jesus did that, healed the leper and he did it in a way that would be most impacting to a leper, he went and touched the leper and healed that leper. Meanwhile, the all good and proper Jews are like, what? You don't, you're defiled. You don't do that. Who does that? God does that. That's who does that. God reaches out and touches people that the world walks away from. And so Jesus is now showing by example what God looks like. And what a follower of God should look like and the heart that they should have. So first person was a leper. The second person we saw was a centurion. What? A little Gentile centurion? That guy? Not even Jewish. Those are our oppressors. That's a Roman. We don't, we don't help them out. Jesus heals that Roman centurion's servant. The Roman centurion saw him and just was, he said, I'm under authority and I realize that I'm outranked, outranked. I realize, Jesus, that when I stand before you, I'm outranked. You don't even, you, I'm so low on the list of authority here. You don't, I don't deserve for you to come into my own house. That's how highly ranked you are. It's pretty profound for a Roman centurion to realize he was outranked when Jesus shows up. I think we would all do really well if we had that perspective that when Jesus is around, we are outranked. Our opinions, our thoughts, our bucket list, our whatever. No, Jesus' will outranks us. And so then as we're seeing this over and over again, last week, uh, Peter's mom, mother-in-law, excuse me, uh, was had an illness, a high fever, and Jesus comes and heals her and then heals a whole bunch of people. So could you imagine if that happened in our day and age? And I don't mean like, oh, hey, there was this healing that happened. I Do I believe miraculous healing happens in our world today? Yes, I do. But do I believe that people can have claims of miraculous healing to try to build up a sensation? Yes, I'm not naive. I also believe that that's true as well. So there's a lot of like discerning, like is this the real deal or is this not the real deal? 
But what we see here with Jesus is he was the real deal and he was doing it publicly, repeatedly, again and again, allowing people to observe him. And that's what I love about Jesus. He lets people see him, get close to him and watch him and then come up with a determination of, is he worth following? Is he worth attaching all of my hopes and dreams and saying, God, I, I, I sacrifice all of those for what you have for me? Is he worth doing that for? Is the cost of following this man worth it? And each person has to make that decision, both then and today. And so now here we are. All those miracles have been happening. And verse 18, Matthew 8, 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, because yeah, they're all around. He gave orders to go over to the other side. Other side of what? Other side of the Sea of Galilee, a large lake. North to south, you can't see the south end from the north end and vice versa, but East to west, it's a little narrower that way. And on certain days, you can see across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is going, hey, I'm going that way. I'm going to be moving from here and going there. And that's great. Why would he have, you know, announced that or given orders? Because it says he gave orders to go over to the other side. Well, who did he give orders to? And sometimes we can look at this and go, well, for his select group of, of guys, like, you know, that's who he was telling It doesn't say that. It just said that when he saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. So he gave orders to everyone. And it was this idea of, I'm going this way, and if you say you follow me, then follow me as I go this way. And this is where you get to find out whether a person is really a follower of Jesus. How do you know? When when Jesus moves, they move. And they move in the direction he's moving and they go where he goes. Sometimes where Jesus goes is not a place that's mm, to our liking. (laughs) Sometimes it's like, Jesus, I'm totally your follower. I will follow you anywhere that is convenient. (laughs) Absolutely. Any place that makes me feel good, I will definitely go there with you. I will go wherever I am not challenged with you. Jesus didn't say any of those things. He said, saw the crowd, I'm going to the other side. Well, that's going to take some effort. And the other side, I mean, that's a, that's going to, that's like, you, wait, nobody told me this is some work involved. There's actually some sweat involved in this. Yeah. You can't follow unless you move, right? I mean, this is all like standard logic stuff. You can't follow unless you're moving with who you're following. And we must understand that Jesus is on the move. He takes us. And where does he take us? To places that will bring him glory, glory to the Father, and bring um, us the things that we so deeply look for, that deep fulfillment in our life, because we're being used the way God has created us to be. Now, all of these things are happening and, and people are having to now make a decision. That very first verse puts you at a decision point. Jesus said he's going someplace and he's ordered you to follow after him, if you truly say you're a follower of his. If somebody's not a follower, they're like, well, you can't order me because I'm not under your authority. I don't recognize your authority. But anybody that says that they're a follower of his and then here's an order. See, I think some some Christians, some followers of Jesus, they, they don't like it when Jesus actually tells them to do stuff. They want buddy Jesus. They want um, socially acceptable Jesus. They want uh, the Jesus that never challenges me. That isn't the Jesus of the Bible. That is not the real Jesus. The real Jesus outranks you and will tell you what you should do. Where's my choice? You have a choice to follow what he tells you to do or not. 
And we're not called at that point to get into this long discussion with Jesus if we truly understand that he is speaking to us. So in all of these things, going over to the other side, there was going to be a challenge for some folks. And we need to realize this as believers. If you're Christian, here's the thing. You are going to be on the move. You are going to be moving from one position to another position in your life. For some here, you understand this very well because it was very recent. Moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Why? Because Jesus is leading you out. He came and he got you where you were in the dark. And he said, come follow me. Where are we going? We're walking towards the light. Come with me. So yes, of course, to get out of prison, you have to walk out the door. And Jesus comes into the prison, opens the door from the inside and says, come on out. I'm in here with you. Now let's walk out. You don't have to stay in this prison in your life. You can walk out. The sad thing is some people sit in the prison with the door wide open and they keep going, I can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do what? The door's open. But you've gotten very comfortable with your prison. You've gotten very comfortable with your pain and your suffering. And even with an open door, you still sit there while Jesus says, follow me. Is there a cost to following Jesus? Yeah. You leave darkness behind and you walk towards light. Well, that doesn't sound bad. No, it's not bad. That's actually great. You can leave a life of sin behind and live a life of holiness. You're moving away from sin and you're moving towards holiness. You're moving away from death, spiritual death, and you're walking in spiritual light. These are all good ways that Jesus leads us and follows us. But it doesn't mean that when you go that way, it's easy. I will follow Jesus as long as it is easy. Tell that to his disciples. Tell that to the the 12 that followed after him. Tell that to the many others after that followed after him. And look at their lives. Look at, if you don't even look at their lives, look at Jesus's life and say, following Jesus is easy. He went to the cross for doing nothing wrong. So should you and I be so surprised when we have challenges in life and all we're doing is what we believe and what we read to be right in God's word? Should we be so shocked? No, we shouldn't be shocked. And so when you have a large uh, uh, gathering of people as Jesus was now starting to have, can you imagine in a modern day and age what that would be like? Like he would be blowing up all the social networks. People would be pulling out their phones and taking pictures and videos sadly, unfortunately, in vertical mode, when you really should shoot a video in port, in, in landscape, please, like, don't shoot video straight up and down. That's not the way a video should be shot. But anyway, so you got, you know, they've got their cameras and they're shooting Jesus and they're going like, look at this healing that's happened and look at that. And they're posting it and they're telling all their friends. And then those friends are spreading it out. Well, maybe in our day and age, that's what it would look like. But in their day and age, their social network was, I'll be right back. And they would run and go tell somebody. And then go, you've, no, you have got to see this guy. And he would come. They would come. And they would see. And they would go. And they would go tell other people. And so that's how this coming and going of people was starting to grow. Jesus was becoming very, very famous. And as all of this fame is coming, fame of one person can draw lots of other people. Or recognition of one person can draw lots of other people. Think about this. If you've ever been to a church... Um, that has been growing and, and comes into like maybe a level of, of very dramatic growth. You know, God just happens to be blessing it. A lot of people will are drawn towards that and not everybody has the right motivation as to why they go. Some people are like, I just want to go someplace that's not small. 
I just have to say this. What if Jesus is walking towards what's small? Oh, I get it. I actually am making choices on what I want rather than what God wants. Yeah, sometimes that's the case. It's really important for us to ask the why question. Why do I choose what I choose? For people that come to church, it's like, why do you come to XYZ Church? Why? And you have to have a moment of honesty with yourself where you go, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it because, you know, that guy that I really like is going there. So that's what you're following after. I'm really going there because I've kind of had a low point in my life and I hear that going to church is a good thing. Knowing Jesus is an amazing thing. Going to church, you can go to church for decades and it not change your life. You can follow Jesus and it will radically change your life. I think sometimes people will substitute church with Jesus. And they do church. They do the church things, if you will, but they don't have a relationship with the Savior. And so they go to what's comfortable, to what's comfortable, to what's comfortable. If you were here um, earlier at like pre-service, I talked about how sometimes we want a hyper-specialized group that fits us, right? Where, for me, you know, I said this earlier, where is my, because I'm Indian, where is my, I can't believe Humboldt County doesn't have a 40s men's Indian Bible study. Come on, I need people from my homeland to, so we can talk and be, we can understand each other and the issues that we had growing up and the, Jim, look around. You live in Humboldt County. God called you here, therefore God will provide what He thinks is right for you. And you have a choice to accept what God has provided or reject it because you don't think it's specific enough for your tastes. Who made you God, Jim? Again, why do we make some of the decisions we make? Why do we get frustrated by certain things and God's like, I chose that for you and you've rejected it because you didn't think it suited you. Well, that means we're telling Jesus, you know what, I know best what's best for me. You don't know what's best. King Jesus, Lord, Master, you don't know what's best. Wow. That's that's a contradiction in phrase right there, right? So I just want to encourage you here. When Jesus calls you, sometimes you may not wrap your head around and it may not make sense as to why this I do look at Humboldt County, I even look at our church Telios, you know, and there's times family members of mine uh, will ask, like, okay, how many Indian families are there in, in Arcata? And I go, I, I don't, I can probably count them on one hand, I think. I'm sure there's a couple doctors out there, you know, and, uh, right, we're hitting all the stereotypes right now, right? It's okay, I'm all right, I can make Indian jokes. So, uh, but, you know, it's that idea where they're just like, how do you survive? And I go, just great, because Jesus is there. I think sometimes we think it has to be a certain way. And you know why? Here's why. Here's, here's why. Because we're not comfortable unless it's the way we like. I got to tell you, Jesus is going to call you to the other side and it's not always comfortable as you follow him. Sometimes they'll call you and you'll be like, how did I end up in this awkward situation? Because Jesus is right next to you. You follow him as he takes you there. We live in a culture, I've noticed more and more recently, that people don't like awkward situations and they'll vocalize it. I was this, a month ago, I was in a cabin with junior high kids and I was one of the leaders in the cabin and we had cabin talks with these junior high boys and they had awesome conversations. And there was something, I got to a point where the conversation was building and we got to the point where I asked them a slightly deeper question. It was along the lines of, you know, what are those things that you've been wondering about God? Like those times where you thought he might have failed you or you were like, God, do you care about me? Any of you guys ever have that kind of a thought? And I'm asking junior high boys. And you know, I've built up enough trust with them that I felt that was an appropriate moment to have that question. And it was great because it got quiet. 
Because they had no problem talking about baseball and talking about, you know, girls wasn't, weren't an issue at that point, which I was thankful for. But they were just talking about, you know, just boy stuff. It was just fine. And then I talked about, what about Jesus? What about God? You know, what about those times he doesn't make sense to you? How do you, how do you, what do you think about that, guys? Quiet. Crickets, right? And then one of the boys was like, awkward silence. And I said, yeah? I said, that's good. I said, you know what? That happens a lot in life, guys. And don't be afraid of that when that happens. And I wanted them to understand, like, it's okay for things to be awkward. Just because things are awkward doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means you're not comfortable. That's what awkward means. It means you are suddenly out of your comfort zone. And I have to say, God himself says, when we are weak, then he is strong. Which means it would glorify God from time to time that he puts us in a situation where we find ourselves awkward and we don't see how we fit in. And God still uses us in spite of ourselves. Who gets the glory there? God does. I just want, I'm I'm talking to myself as I'm, I'm hearing myself say these words, but to all of us as well, don't avoid the hard, challenging, awkward, difficult situations that Jesus is leading you into. Oh no, that conversation with that family member, I don't want to have that conversation. I just have to ask you this question. Is Jesus walking that way? Because if he is and you call yourself a follower, follow him. He will open up the door of conversation. He will give you the words at the right moment, but you're not going to know it until you follow him. Don't avoid the awkward things. If you're a Christian, you're going to have some awkward situations in life. I think about one where Paul was teaching and he was teaching late into the night and there was this young kid and he was sitting up on some high, you know, elevated position and he fell asleep and he fell and he died. Awkward, man. Awkward. Person dies in your Bible study. You don't think that's awkward? You think that's normal? You're weird. Seriously, that's awkward. That's awkward. If somebody was here all of a sudden and you like fell, I would think, we're probably going to talk about that one for a while, you know, years to come. Remember the time Jim taught, taught so much a guy died while he was teaching? <laughs> awkward, right? We just, we can look in the Bible. There's plenty of awkward situations in the Bible where people are just going, Philip, he's out there and he's like, why am I standing out here? And an Ethiopian goes by in a chariot. And he's just like, oh, I should, I should run after that guy in the chariot, God? What? This doesn't make any sense. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. And I'm going to run after a chariot? That man didn't know Jesus. He was looking at the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. And all of a sudden, he looks over in his chariot and he sees a guy, a Jewish man, running. <laughs> Jogging was not a thing back then, right? And so he's like, what are you, do- uh, what are you reading? Isaiah, but how can I understand it if no one tells me? He goes, I could talk to you about that. Jump in my chariot. He tells him about it. He talks about a saving relationship with Jesus. He talks about what Jesus said about remembering him in communion, which we'll do at the end of service, and baptism. And then this Ethiopian man says, what keeps me? He sees a body of water as a chariot goes by and goes, what keeps me from being baptized? Philip says, nothing. That whole encounter, that man being saved, that man knowing who God is, wouldn't have happened if Philip wasn't put in an awkward position. Do not avoid awkward positions. Christian, you are called to follow Jesus wherever that leads you. So, I wonder who's going to show up to Jesus now that this huge crowd is here, now that he's ordered them to go to the other side. I wonder how some people will respond. Today we'll see two people responding. First guy, verse 19 and 20. A scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, that looks awesome. Verse 20. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
The first time I had somebody was teaching that and I read that, I'm like, Jesus, you did not answer his question. Or you didn't like, that's the wrong, it doesn't seem like the right response to what the guy was saying, right? The guy, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to the other side. I'm ordering you guys. We're going to the other side. If you want to follow me, that's where I'm going. And a guy comes up and goes, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. You would think that Jesus would then just go, student, thank you so much for, for, for being the first to say that you would do it. Instead, Jesus gives like a fortune cookie riddle. Like, I don't understand this. Like, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The guy didn't talk about any place laying his head. It's almost like there's two different conversations happening here, but they aren't. Jesus can see into a person's heart. And what Jesus' response is, is addressing the heart of this guy that came up to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. See, not everyone that comes up and says, I will follow Jesus, really wants to follow Jesus. They want to follow what's comfortable. They want to follow things on their terms. And I know, like, as I'm starting to talk about this, you may go, man, you're getting really hard on this scribe. No, because Jesus addressed him a certain way because Jesus saw, had insight into this man's life. First of all, we'll look at the, how the scribe addressed him. The word he used, teacher. Didaskalos. Didaskalos is the word for teacher. Teacher, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. You're right. But do you remember how the other people addressed Jesus that we've been seeing so far? The leper said, Lord. The Roman centurion said, Lord. Which all means master, ruler over me. This man, the scribe says, teacher, which is lower on the level of scale, if you will. And not only is it lower on the level of scale, here's the thing. It's the same word that would be used to describe that man who said teacher. Because he was a scribe. Who are the scribes? Scribes were like the, um, the experts of the law. They were highly educated. They were scholars in their rabbinic schools. They would be, you know, like your PhD and they had written their own thesis and all of this stuff. Like they were well educated and they were well known for being well educated. And so when they showed up, a person knew that a scribe was in their presence. They exuded that scholarly persona. So much so that the, the non-scholarly, um, uneducated in that formal way person would look and go, I don't even deserve to be in their presence. This is a scribe we're talking about. This is a teacher of the law. This teacher of the law, they are a teacher. So this teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, teacher. Do you understand what happened there? It's, hey, listen, you're not Lord. You're like teacher. I'm a teacher, you're a teacher, we're teachers. I just want to tell you, I'll follow you wherever you go. And for this man, this teacher, he must have been observing Jesus and watching what he said, probably, you know, as he heard Jesus teach, he's probably like, wow, I've never heard anybody teach like that. So he's just maybe a superior teacher than me, but he's still a teacher like me. And then to watch him do these things, it, it impressed him so much that he decided to be vocal about it. But when he says, I will follow you wherever you go, this is the tone that it has to it. Hey, fellow teacher, I endorse you. I endorse you. You've got my like. I hit the like button for you because I like you. Jesus is not doesn't care about likes. Jesus doesn't look for endorsements. He doesn't need any endorsements. He is God. So, from the disciples' perspective, the others that were around him, they may have been like, Jesus, what a golden opportunity. Do you know this guy? This guy is so important. He's like a teacher. 
And you want people that are powerful to endorse you because then it legitimizes who you are. And Jesus just flat out rejects that endorsement because Jesus is not impressed. Jesus is not impressed by any person's credentials. Man is impressed by people's credentials, but Jesus is not impressed. There are some people in Indian culture that have said to me, Ah, oh, well, son, you should really get some degrees. You know, I don't see any letters behind your name. You should really get like your doctorate of divinity. You should, uh, you know, you should, you should at least, you know, I mean, yeah, you got your bachelor's, but that's like, that's not even, we don't even talk about that. Master's is like your minimum. Like you gotta, and again, Indian culture is highly educationally focused. And to their fault at times, education can sometimes be above God. And so living in that, there are times where, oh, oh you want to be, oh, you want to be a pastor. Well, you're not really a pastor, son. You're like a missionary. You're not like a pastor. And I'm like, a missionary is awesome too. Like there's not like one's less than the other, but it was just, I started to notice this hierarchy and it was man's hierarchy. And so if you really want to be a real pastor, then you really got to go to seminary. You really got to get that and you've got to do all these things. And I was like, Jesus isn't walking that way in my life. He decided to walk in the direction of a church that needed somebody in their junior high ministry. And I volunteered. And then God showed me that I had a gift to teach. And then he gave me an opportunity to lead. And then he gave me an opportunity to lead a children's ministry. And it's so funny because you talk about awkward. I wasn't married and I didn't have any children. And I was in charge of a children's ministry with 300 kids from nursery through fifth grade. And I was like, God, you have a sense of humor. So I just put people around me that had kids that were really awesome. And I just loved those people and they did great. And so the ministry did awesome. And all of these things, this idea of I have to have credentials, I have to have the right credentials. You know what? You have to know the right people. And I say this, you need to know the right person, Jesus. That's really what matters in your life. All the other stuff, you can get degrees. I'm not saying a degree. There's nothing wrong with getting a degree, but don't put your value in your degree. Your degree at most will only last your very short life. And then it's done. Don't make it the purpose of your life. Make Jesus the purpose of your life. Make following him the purpose of your life. This scribe was just like, you know what, fellow teacher, I endorse you. And Jesus answers him very clearly. Animals have places to live, whether it's foxes or birds, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he told this teacher? He said, learned one. Um academically superior one. I want you to know this. If you follow me, you're following a person that doesn't even have his own home. I want you to know the kind of person that you're following. I'm not a person that's here to make you more famous. You know, Jesus is not like, I'm not here to make you lifted up. You're following a very humble person who's going to serve wherever he needs to serve. Is that the kind of person you want to follow after? And I love it. Jesus doesn't hide stuff. He brings it right out to the front and tells this scribe, even animals have homes and I don't even have a house of my own. I live off the kindness of other people. And some days I just live under the stars that, and this blows me away, the stars that I created. How many nights did Jesus spend in the Judean wilderness where he was there looking at the stars and going, yep, remember that one? Oh yeah, that white dwarf, I remember making you and that red giant over there. And yeah, he made them all. 
He knows every blade of grass. He knows every tree. He made all of it. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, there's a level of denying yourself that's required to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus, which means I get to put a cross on, I get to say I'm a Christian, and I get to change nothing else in my life. Sorry, that's not what a Christian is. Being a Christian means you meet Jesus and it radically changes your life. Sometimes it leads to a change in vocation, occupation, your educational institution, your company of friends, your financial goal. Meeting Jesus changes every other aspect, should change every other aspect of your life because you now look at all the other aspects of your life in light of what Jesus is doing and where he's leading you. He comes first, everything else follows after him. So this guy here, when he said, I will follow you, wrong motivations. He was motivated for something other than a life of sacrifice, at least when he came to Jesus. And so Jesus loved this scribe so much that he just cut to the chase. And he said, you understand, following me is going to require sacrifice. And now when we look at this, we see this passage and there's a very interesting phrase. Bear with me here. In verse 20, Jesus self-identifies using a specific phrase. Do you see it? He says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And we look at that very simply as three English words, son of man. Yes, he is a human being. He walked with people. You could touch him. You could hear him speak. He left footprints. Like he was a human being and he was 100% God. I don't know how that percentage works. My little mind can't comprehend that, but I believe it to be true because the scripture says it. So as we look at all these things, great, son of man, that's not hard. Jesus says, I'm human. I believe that that on the surface is the easiest way to look at that phrase, son of man. But I think it's more than that. Do you know that Jesus, when he identified himself, he could have called himself the son of God, and he did. He could have called himself a few other things, but he chose Jesus' favorite phrase to describe himself. You know what it was? Son of man. He used it 80 times, Jesus did. More than any other self-identification. Well, maybe he really wanted people to know, I'm human, I'm human, I'm human. I'm going to tell you this. I believe that it was far deeper than that. Because when he says son of man, and this is the first time in scriptures that we see Jesus say he's the son of man, it would have triggered the Jewish mind because that phrase son of man would have reminded them of their Old Testament scriptures. And it would have triggered this idea of son of man Well, I know that phrase. That phrase comes from the book of Daniel. The prophet Daniel wrote about the son of man. And I want you to see what this scribe, because remember, the scribe was a teacher of the law. If anybody knew that phrase, son of man, it would have been the scribe. So when Jesus says, hey, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't have any place to lay his head. I'm sure the scribe was like, son of man. What would the, what would the scribe have remembered? I think it's this passage in Daniel. Daniel's having this vision, and it's in Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse, verse 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel having this vision. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he, and let's look at the son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given, to this son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
When that scribe heard Jesus say, the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head, his mind would have flashed back to the prophet Daniel, talking about this person that's going to come, who's going to be known as the son of man, who will be given a kingdom that has no end. It will never be destroyed. It's an eternal kingdom. He's an eternal king, the son of man. And Daniel wrote this during the time of the Babylonian Empire. They were the empire in the, on the world scene at the time. And Daniel had a vision of a, of an, of, he had a, a vision of the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. But then this rock came out of the sky in his vision later on. And it came and it destroyed the statue made out of these four different levels or these different kingdoms. It broke apart the statue and it landed and it grew. That rock that came out of nowhere and broke apart the kingdoms of this world grew into this mountain, this everlasting mountain. And that one lasted forever. He's talking about the king that's going to be bigger than any nation and any government and any ruler that has ever come before. That's who Daniel's talking about. And Jesus identifies himself to the scribe who understood what he said. The son of man has no place to lay his head. I believe at that moment, the scribe took a step back and thought, you're no teacher. You're the Lord. You are the son of man. And at this point, the scripture doesn't tell us what happens with the scribe. Some people don't like that and are bothered by that. And I guess a part of me, I wish I kind of knew how did it turn out with this guy? But a part of me, I love it when the Bible doesn't tell me what a person chose because it allows you and I to put ourselves in the story. What happens when Jesus confronts us and we try to treat Jesus as buddy-buddy equals, man, maybe he's slightly above us, but not way above us. Come on, let's not get crazy. But he's a little bit above us. And then Jesus looks directly at us and says, I'm that king who has a kingdom that lasts forever. I'm a king who lives a humble life and I'm calling you to follow me in humility. Will you do that? This scribe, we don't know what his story is. In eternity, we'll find out what he did. But I just have to ask you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when Jesus asks you to sacrifice some level of comfort or some level of um, who you think you are? My job. If I don't do my job, I'm lost. You are who you were in the womb before you had a job. You're still you. The problem is you don't know who you are. You've attached it to what you do. And even your job is only going to last your short life. Isn't it more important to know who God made you to be, which is above and beyond your job? Jesus wants to tell you that. He's always looking at the heart of the issue. Okay, so God will call you to awkward and unusual situations at times. And I have to say, this conversation, you know, everybody's excited. This guy comes and says, I'll follow you anywhere. And then Jesus says something that allows things to get a bit awkward. That's okay. When Jesus leads you into an awkward place, follow after him. I want to tell you this story. 20 years old or so I was at the time. And so, as like 22 or so years ago, I was in college and I'd just come to know Jesus and I was like, all right, great. You know, I hear about people, they hear about Jesus. You know, not they hear about Jesus. They hear him leading them. You know, you hear a message about following Jesus. I'm like, I want to follow Jesus. The problem is I don't know what it sounds like when he tells me to follow him. <laughs> so I just would like to know what it's like when he tells me to follow him. So I was there in church on a Sunday and the pastor was teaching and it was something about following Jesus. And then all of a sudden I heard it. And I don't know if I heard it through my ears or it was just loud enough that it just, I heard it in my heart. But it was, Jim, in your speech class this semester, you are going to talk about me, all three speeches. And one was like an informative and like a persuasive. And you know, there's three different types of speeches I had to give. And so I was, I'm sitting in church and like this thought is so loud in my heart. Jim, 
This is what you're going to do in speech class this semester. It's a new semester, and I was, I think I was thinking like, Lord, how do, how do I follow you? In speech, Jim, you're going to be talking about me, all three of your speeches. I remember going, no, no, no. And now I'm sitting in church right now, and this, I'm sure this happens to you too. The pastor's teaching, but then you've checked out in this sense because something that was said has triggered a thought in your heart. And now you're kind of there thinking about this and you're having a conversation with God. I'm okay with that and I'm not offended. I understand that that's, that happens at times. I was in church and I'm just like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Meanwhile, I'm not listening to what the pastor's saying and all you see is me going, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm having an internal issue going on here. It had nothing to do with what he was saying. It had to do with me telling Jesus, I see where you're calling me and I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. And Jesus said, I, I'm still calling you. This is the way I'm going and I'm not changing my direction. Follow me. And remember that very first speech. And you, you have to understand this. I was terrified of public speaking. I wasn't a public speaker. I was afraid of it. And so I just, it just, that brought fear to me. The class itself, I was afraid of the speech class, just generally speaking. Now I'm going to talk about my faith in speech class. And so there I was in the first speech. I, it was why I'm a Christian. That was what I shared in speech class. And so you're supposed to share for like five minutes. Great. So I'm there and I'm just like sitting in class. I'm all like, and I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, how many more people? It's like, okay, there are like three people in front of me. They're going to go like 15, five minutes each. I got 15 minutes. I was like, I got, I like my body was rebelling. Like I had jitters and everything. Like it was weird. Like I was on drugs or something is what it, like, I don't, it, what it might have still looked like. And so I'm just like, I got to burn off this excess nervousness. So I got up and I told somebody at the door, like, hey, I'll be back in like 10 minutes. And I went for a run around the campus. I just was like, I'm just going to run. And I had my watch. I was like, <sighs> I was just like, my body was rebelling. And I'm like, we're doing this. I was talking to myself. I'm like, Jim, shut up. You're doing this. We are doing this thing because it's Jesus is telling us to do this. Do it. I don't want to do it. Stop your whining. We're doing this thing. Like, and so I'm running around campus and I'm looking. I'm like, all right, I get back at 12 minutes from when I left. I'm like, perfect. Like three more minutes left in the last person. Catch my breath. And we're doing this thing. And I get there and I get to the door of the class and all the faces are looking at the door because these other people went short. And so I'm like, (sighs) and they're like, oh, Mr. Thomas, you've decided to actually join us for class. I was like, yeah, I just went for a run, you know, so okay. So then I come and I'm like, and now I'm going, I'm winded. I'm, and Lord is like, you're exactly where I want you to be. You're at the end of yourself. When you are weak, then I am strong. Now I can work in you. This whole time, you had too much of you in this. You need to get yourself out of the way. Just show up, Jim. Just show up and let me work. And so there I am, like, why I'm a Christian. And I started to share, and I have to tell you this, it was recorded because it was part of, like, you, you watch a recording afterwards, and I wish I could find that VHS tape at some place. I don't know. I, I, I know, right? You're old. Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, but I, I remember seeing it at least a few years after I did it, and I was absolutely blown away, because I'm like, you had some good things to say. And, and I got there, and I started talking, and I have to tell you, I stopped thinking about the, the fact that I was tired. I actually stopped thinking about the words that I was saying, as, as crazy as that sounds. What was going on inside was, it was just me going, Lord, is this going to be okay? And God's like, I got this. I got this. Meanwhile, I'm still talking. <laughs> but there's this other side conversation where I'm like, God, I don't know, like, 
help me. Just help. And I realized, oh, that's what I needed to do this whole time. I needed to stop overthinking it, and I just needed to ask him to help me. And as I did that, he helped me. And then my second speech was about him, and my third speech was persuasive. It's why you should be a Christian. So it started out with the first speech as to why I am, and I forget what the second one was. I think it was the proof that Jesus is God or something light like that in speech class. And then the third one was why you should be a Christian. That was the first time that I ever proclaimed the gospel outside of junior high ministry at my church was in my college speech class. And I have to tell you, it was awkward in this sense. It brought up some awkwardness between a few people, people who weren't excited about the fact that now they realize I'm a Christian. Because once you start there, they know where you stand, right? But here's the other thing I noticed. There's people that came towards me. I remember a young lady came towards me and was just like, hey, thank you so much for sharing. I'm a Christian too, and I'm just so, I'm so glad that there's another Christian in this class. And I was like, that's cool. You're a Christian? I didn't know that. Okay, cool. All right, now I know. It takes someone to start. And if Jesus is leading you in a direction to be the example where you go, there's no one else here, then you just follow Jesus and you just do it. Even if it's awkward, even if it, you're, you, you don't understand and you're panicked, ask God for peace and then tell yourself to shut up and just do it. There's a lot of times you've got to tell yourself to stop it because you and I are being ridiculous. We're like children. They're like, I can't do it. It's like, calm down. Take a breath and realize God is God over everything. And just follow him. So this phrase, the son of man, I want to show you a verse. And, and this is just to help you as you read the Bible. If you ever see the phrase son of man, um, I want you to think about replacing those words because we see it in English a certain way. But remember, the Jewish mind would have seen it a little differently. So look at this verse, Mark 10, 45, very famous verse or well known. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, it's a powerful verse. But what if we exchange the word son of man with the ones we said the Jewish mind would have understood? Here's what that verse might look like. For even the eternal king who rules over the eternal kingdom came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you understand how profound that is? He's a king. And this king who has the everlasting kingdom said, I came to earth not to expect people to serve me. I, the king, came to earth expecting to serve people and not just to serve them. I, the king, have come so that I can give my life. Kingly blood will be given. A kingly life will be given for people who are lost in sin. It's profound. Every time Jesus says it, the 80 times he says it in the scriptures there. And if I could just remember to replace it with that, I think it would have so much more depth as I'm reading going, that's powerful, Jesus. You are the king. And so as we look at all these things and all these things that have been said, it will be challenging as we follow after Jesus. Salvation, sometimes you know people give their life to Jesus and they're like, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. Praise the Lord. Well, it's free in this sense. That salvation was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Discipleship, following Jesus, what is that going to cost you? Look at what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham has this quote and it's just very powerful. Billy Graham said, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. Everything. Everything. If you want to follow Jesus, it's not like oh, I'm going to kind of, it's a side thing that I've got. My primary thing is to just make my life the most comfortable, easy, and um, satisfying life for myself. Sorry. The Christian's life is one where we follow Jesus and it will cost you everything you have. 
In other words, you take your hopes and your dreams, you take your bucket list, your aspirations, you take all of that stuff and you go, Jesus, here it is. I give this all to you. And you know what you're going to find? Jesus is just going to go, thank you. That's what I was looking for was a heart willing to give me any, everything. And he's not, this is what I've noticed. He doesn't take everything necessarily. There's times where he's like, no, I still want you to have that job. Or I still want you to um, um, to do this thing in your life. Like, I'm not here to, oh, giving Jesus everything doesn't necessarily mean he's saying, I want you to sell all your earthly possessions and go live in Africa. Like, but we in our mind can go, that's the thing that, we, it's almost like we think God wants to punish us. If I follow Jesus, he's going to make my life miserable. No, if you follow Jesus, you're going to be fulfilled in a way nothing else will fulfill you. So, we talked about one person. We talked about the scribe. Was there another person that showed up? Yes. Verse 21 and 22. Look at this other one. This guy's a disciple. He follows after Jesus. And he says this, Lord, <clears throat> let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. First time I heard that, I was like, harsh. That's a harsh thing for you to say, Jesus. Like the poor guy's dad just died. And you're asking, and then I got this weird image in my head of like his dead dad going, not dead yet. And he gets a shovel and he starts digging a hole and then rolls himself into it and then buries himself. You know, I mean, that's that's what happens in some Bible studies. My mind just kind of wanders. So I'm looking at this just going, there's a general like, Jesus, you're a bit harsh, I think, towards this guy. Until we look at it a little closer, because Jesus, again, knows his heart. This person who came to him and said, I've got to bury my dad. First, let's look at how this guy addresses Jesus. Verse 21, Lord, is that good? That's great, that's great. Lord, master over everything. Awesome, he started out good, Lord. And then the next few words, not good. Master, Lord, God over everything, let me first. Mm, Sorry, those words don't go together. You don't say master and then say let me first. Those words put together, those four words, Lord, let me first. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. Lord, whatever you want first. <clears throat> but instead it's, I acknowledge you're my master. Now I've got a couple things I got to do first. Well, Jim, come on. It's a reasonable thing, isn't it? Jesus says he's going to the other side of this lake. Shouldn't he at least inform him, Jesus, I really want to follow you. There's just something I got to take care of at home. My dead dad, right? We would all go, that seems reasonable. Except his dad wasn't dead. That phrase, bury my father, you know what that means? It's this idea. I try to think of a modern version of that phrase, and maybe this is the best. I, this is the best I can come up with. Here it is. You know what, God? Totally gonna follow you right after I retire. So maybe we can replace in our modern vernacular, bury my father with once I retire, or whatever your mile marker thing is in your life, where you think falsely that you'll suddenly be all freed up to serve God. Because I got to tell you, that's an illusion. You will always have something that needs to be done. And if you wait for, I'm going to wait till my life is all clear, till my, look at my schedule, schedule is empty. Jesus, I'm ready to serve you. Uh, that's when you're dead. At that point, that you're done at that point, okay? So this idea of, oh, I'm just going to, life's just, you, you don't understand, life's really busy. Life's really, really busy. You know, at some point in the future, there's a bunch of things that are going to end up happening. And so I'm just kind of planning out that. So rather than start serving Jesus now and then have to stop in the future, I think it's better in my little wisdom to not serve at all. 
until I get to that moment where everything's free and clear. Here's what, here's how I'm going to tell you the enemy's going to attack you. He's going to give you opportunities to stay busy. How long? The rest of your life. Because if your logic is, once my life clears out, then I'll follow Jesus, the enemy's, re- it's really easy for him to figure out a way to, to put you on the sidelines for the rest of your life. He'll just keep giving you stuff to do. Because there will always be stuff to do. See, this idea of following Jesus, it's not, Jesus didn't say, hey guys, sort some stuff out and then come follow me. It's follow me. What's understood? Now. That applies to today. I, we can all have our, I've got to bury my father excuse. All of us can. All of us can be like, I've got to bury my dad. I mean, for this guy, the reason I use that retirement example, in their culture, when a father died, you see this in the parable of the um, prodigal son. His dad was taking too long to die. So he's like, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I mean, when he, when he told his dad, give me my inheritance, that's not what they did in their culture. The inheritance came when the dad died. So when he went to his dad, the prodigal son, and said, give me my inheritance, he was basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. You are taking too long to die. It's harsh. It's super harsh. So when this guy says, Jesus, master, let me first bury my father, which is code for let me first get my inheritance. See, because then dad's not around anymore and I'll have some more financial resources so then I can really serve you because that's really what serving God is, is having financial resources. You know what it is? It's having a heart to follow Jesus at whatever stage you're in in life. Please do not fall for the lie because Jesus is busting this guy right here. When he says, Lord, let me first bury my father, what is Jesus' next words to him in verse 22? Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In other words, leave all those issues in your future that haven't come yet. Let those take care of themselves. Because here's what happens. Listen, I just came to know the Lord and so... I don't know if I can really like jump into following Jesus. Here's an excuse I hear because I'm just a new Christian. So I don't know a lot about Jesus. If you know enough to know that you needed him, then you know enough to tell somebody else about Jesus. I got to do a bunch of Bible classes and I've got to, I got to, those are all your good, good list of excuses. That's wonderful and not right. If you know enough about Jesus to have him as your savior, you know enough about Jesus to tell somebody else about him. It's the truth. As you go on in your walk, you will gain more knowledge of who he is, which will help you. But don't ever let the excuse of, I don't think I know enough about God. If you know enough that he's your savior, you know enough. Start there. Well, okay, so I'm a young Christian, but okay, now, uh, now I'm just like, I'm just trying to figure out my college career. Once I get my college career sorted, then I'll follow Jesus. Because, you know, you go to college, you're only there for a couple years, and there's not really much time to serve, because at most you're there for like four years, right? So why plug into a church family when you're only going to be there for a short time and then leave? Or maybe it's something like, hey, you know, I work for the Coast Guard, and it's like two years here, and then I'm gone to the next place for a couple years. Or I'm a park ranger, and I'm here for a few years, and then I'm gone for a couple years. None of those are excuses to not follow Jesus. Sorry. Why in the world would you waste years of your life where you could follow Jesus? Because... There's something else coming up. There's always something coming up. Oh, well, you don't understand. Like, we, we have a child. I, I, I'm getting married now. Awesome. Serve Jesus together. Well, we have young kids. God bless the kids ministry. 
oh, well, our kids are getting older and now we have stuff at school and, you know, there's sports and I'm the coach on this team and I've got, you know, PTA meetings and all that other stuff. Great. And serve Jesus. Okay, the kids are out and now they're at college and we're going to colleges and doing all that other stuff. And serve Jesus. But they're now, they're out of college and now they're like getting married and walking them down the aisle and now serve Jesus. I'm a grandparent. I didn't realize. I thought I was going to retire and it would get quiet. And now it's loud. There's kids all over the place. They're all little and they're running around. And serve Jesus. See, if you use the excuse of I've got to bury my dad, I've got to bury my dad, I've got to bury my dad, then you're never going to serve Jesus. And then someday you're going to see Jesus. Hey, I was going to... Warren Wiersbe, he's a commentator and he commented on this passage of scripture. You'll see what he said here. It is better to preach the gospel and give life to the spiritually dead than to wait for your father to die and bury him. Just twiddling my thumbs. I got, I know something's coming up in like three years. So let me just, um, I'll really serve Jesus in three years. No, you're training yourself to not serve Jesus. You're training yourself over the years to not serve him. Don't be surprised if you continue in your training. There, we live in a spiritually dead area here. There's so many people that are walking around spiritually dead. Isn't it more important that we put our life goals on pause for a minute? Or better yet, just go, God, you just take them while we decide to pour our hearts out into people who are not spiritually alive? Wouldn't, wouldn't that make more sense? I mean, do you want to get to heaven and be like, yeah, I had that career I really wanted and got all those credentials that I wanted. Yeah, but what about those people that I sent in your life? The ones that didn't know me. But I got that career. I got that job. It doesn't have an eternal value. It's the stuff, I get it. It's the stuff we need to do in this life. I get that. But let's never put it above what Jesus is calling us to do. And, and this, this is the phrase here. If you're older, I'm, I, I don't want you to, to feel bad about this phrase. I just want to say this statement. So let it just, let me say this. Give Jesus the best years of your life. I have to tell you, I do not regret coming to know who Jesus is in my 20s and choosing to follow him then. It actually, when I was thinking about this message, this idea, because I heard somebody say that when I was younger. I heard an older man say to me, Jim, give Jesus the best years of your life. I was like, what years are those? He goes, every year starting now. And I thought, okay. And it didn't mean be a pastor. It just meant in your life, wherever he leads you, follow him. And I, I look back and I go, it's been 22 years since I've known Jesus, right? And when I got here, there was a few folks that had mentioned, man, he's really young. That's always going to be the case, right? It's just going to be like, there's always somebody older than you that'll look at you and go, you're really young. That's fine. I, I realize that probably won't change. But I was thinking about this. You know, if I live the average age of an American or something like, like mid-70s or something like that, right, before the Lord calls me home, I could be serving Jesus for another three decades in my life. And I'm like, yes, because the last 20 have been awesome. With challenges, sure. Awkward moments, oh yeah, they make for great illustrations. Have I been fulfilled? Yes. And there's still more to come? Oh man, I can't wait. You should have that enthusiasm because following Jesus is not a chore or a burden, it's a joy. You want to know who you really are? You'll know it when you follow Jesus. When should you start? Well, given the best years of your life, which is now until you see him face to face. Last quote. Worship team's coming up right now. 
This man is F.B. Meyer. He comments on scriptures and he said this, do not mourn about the grave of the past. Leave it, leave it and enter the life of resurrection and ascension. Stop looking at your past and going, oh, the glory days. You remember back when we were serving Jesus? You remember when it was, you remember, okay, it's good to remember how God had worked in the past, but that is the past. And Jesus, when he's walking, he's not walking backwards. He's walking forwards. And so leave your past and walk forward with Jesus onward and upward, not backwards and down. Jesus is calling each of us to follow him. So, um, as I say this prayer here, the ushers are going to hand around the, uh, pass around, excuse me, the communion elements. If you would just hold the bread and hold the juice, and then um, when we're done singing this song, I'll come up, we'll pray, and we'll take them together. So let's remember Jesus. you hold a piece of bread in your hand, would you agree in prayer with me? Jesus, thank you so much. You are the Son of Man, the King of Kings. Thank you for giving your kingly body for each of us. Thank you for allowing yourself to die on a cross for me. Jesus, we remember what you've done and we want to say thank you for taking our place. Church, shall we take and eat the bread? And as we look at this grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus, would you agree in prayer with me? Jesus, Father, thank you for sending Jesus sacrificially as our lamb. Jesus, thank you for laying your life down willingly as our king. Your kingly blood spilled for us. Your perfect blood spilled for us. You did nothing. We did all of it. You didn't sin. We did sin. You went to the cross. You had to pay because of what we did. You did nothing deserving death on a cross. Jesus, we acknowledge the blood and we thank you that your blood washes us clean from our sin. Shall we take and drink, church? Praise the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is so good to us. When do you start following Jesus? Now. Hey, in some very practical ways, how does that look? Look at where your, God's put you. Look at the job that you're at. Look at the, the, what you're doing. If you're a student, if you're a grandparent, if you're a stay-at-home mom, your ministry is as far as what's right in front of you. You do what God has put in front of you to the glory of God. If you're a student, then you should be the, mo- the best student there is. And I don't mean you're getting straight A's. I mean you're applying yourself because you're doing it for God, not for anything else. If you're at a job and you're working for a boss and they're a bear... You're serving that person well because you're not serving them. You're serving Jesus. You serve the King of Kings.